to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday evening, day four of the uh, five shows a week. I hope no one's getting burnt out yet. I appreciate all the people in the chat, uh, of course, especially the uh, the channel members who have now learned that you get free uh, or you get exclusive content after every show uh, where you may even get to hear Tom Woods say the F word, which was jarring. I'm telling you, it was jarring last night. So if you missed that, Definitely sign up there or Patreon or the uh, or the subscribe star so you can see that stuff. Uh, of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee uh, for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. My friend, my partner on the show, one of the coolest guys you know, toplobster.com for all your great graphic needs. It's where you can get this great Ron Paul hoodie that I'm wearing tonight. It didn't have to be this way. Uh, among all kinds of other great stuff, including several different Break the Cycle lines. You can use BTC there uh, at checkout for a 10% discount, or you can join the Patreon, Subscribe Star, or channel membership, become a channel member, and uh, and uh, you get into the Discord server where he drops new designs uh, up to two weeks prior to putting them out to the general population, and uh, you get like a 30% discount, super deep discount. Good stuff. Do it if you can. Uh, it's worth it. I mean... Almost if you some of the lower paid uh, subscriptions, you guys will basically be paying for yourself if you uh, if you get some of his gear. And executive producers of the show, AnthemPlanning.com, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs delivered directly to your – delivered. God, I'm, I'm messing everything up tonight. Uh, emergency crisis planning needs. See what they can do today for you or your business or your personal life. They're doing a great job that the government sucks at for a much cheaper price and much more efficiently. I'm having brain farts today. Four shows in a row. Might be might be a little much after working twelve hour shifts. Who knows? I don't care. I don't care, uh, guys. We have got a great show for you today. I'm very excited uh, to have this gentleman on. He is uh, the libert he's a libertarian conservative journalist and policy correspondent at the Foundation of Economic Education, or FEE, as most people know. He also hosts the Breaking Boundaries podcast. He is Mr. Brad Palumbo. How you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Nice, nice. I really appreciate you coming on, man. So. Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit about your journey uh, to you know this liberty conservative lifestyle and and really how you immersed yourself into policy and all that great stuff. How did that come about? Well, so uh, a, a little bit different than you might expect, actually. But I'm from New England. I'm from Massachusetts. People might know that if they follow me. Maybe that's where I get my iced coffee thing for. You know that uh, Massachusetts has more Dunkin' Donuts in the state than in all other 49 states and territories combined. You guys really like the Dunkin' there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm from Massachusetts, and I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which is the biggest flagship public university uh, in Massachusetts. And it also has the, and this is actually just random, by happen, just by happenstance, it has the only openly Marxist economics department in America. Oh, geez. I went in there as a college student studying economics, <laughs> And I studied under professors who would self-identify as communist or Marxist. 
uh, I, I had different professors who would like whitewash the Soviet Union, uh, who were editors for radical feminist Marxist journals. It was quite the experience. Uh, and then at the same time, the campus atmosphere was like SJW on steroids. Imagine like the memes of the social justice warriors, uh, those people, you know, with like the pink hair and the angry face or like the, the screaming woman or whatever. But like those people 10 times worse than actually in real life. Like the, imagine the most extreme progressive you've ever seen on the internet that's way more extreme than like real Democrats are in real life in most cases. And that's like your typical student that that's politically active on that campus. So like it, it was the kind of thing where, just to give you an example, at the student newspaper, I was formally disciplined and written up and told if I ever had another offense, I'd be fired, which I was then later fired. That's another story. My offense was this. I used the expression boy who cried wolf to describe a colleague who identifies as non-binary. Oh, and I was warned and almost fired for that offense. So this just tells you what, what it was like for me in college. And then I basically kind of became like knee jerk right wing in response to that. I was like, basically like, well, screw this. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with what these people are. But then I also was not, I was never on the Trump train. So I was a Gary voter and I was kind of more conservative on a lot of things, but I also was never socially conservative. Obviously people probably know this. I'm gay. I'm, I, I'm no, I'm agnostic. So I'm not, you know, I am pro-life and I would not say I'm social. Like people will say being libertarian is socially liberal, fiscally conservative. I think that's totally wrong. Being libertarian is about what you think the government should do. Sure. You don't have to act be like fully leftist on social issues. But anyway, I was kind of in the middle of the road on that. And then over time I became more libertarian on things like immigration and trade. And I guess that's where I've got today where I would describe myself as a libertarian conservative or conservatarian is such a cringe word because people, people have ruined it, but it really is an accurate description of my beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get involved with fee? Oh, uh, well, so I basically started writing for my school newspaper while I was still in college. Uh, I, I went into college thinking I wanted to be a lawyer because I've always known two things about myself that I love to argue and I love to be the center of attention. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'll be a lawyer and a litigator. And I would have been good at that, to be fair. I, I did well in law classes and I also um, was the captain of the mock trial team. But I ended up writing for the opinion page of the student newspaper and I just fell in love with the shit stirring, like in not in a trollish way, but just in the saying the things that everyone else is afraid to say because they know they're true. And on my campus, it was like, for example, all I said was like, oh, you should be able to get a concealed carry permit on campus the same way you could if you lived in Boston. Right. Like if you're 21 and you pass a background check, you can get a permit. I said our campus shouldn't be a gun-free zone. Our rights don't stop at some arbitrary government line, right? And they actually said that my article making that argument endangered the safety of other students. <laughs> so this is a really convoluted way of answering your question, but basically uh, I started as a student journalist, went a little bit, it, it made a little bit of a splash, was ultimately fired by the very liberal student newspaper. 
Uh, then I started doing a lot of freelance professional writing. I joined the Washington Examiner, which is a conservative uh, center-right DC-based pu publication. I worked there for a year after graduation. COVID hit, uh, and I my one-year fellowship ended, and I was out of a job. Uh, I was freelance freelancing full-time for like six different places, and then uh, I landed at Fee, where they basically it was the perfect fit. They they cover policy and economics, uh, and they're basically a think tank that also dips into journalism. And I'm a journalist that dips into thinking. Uh, <laughs> so it, yeah, and then I've been there for over a year. Uh, I I get I write six to eight articles a week. Write a daily newsletter reporting on policy, economics, taxes, welfare, spending, debt, that kind of thing. Uh, and just humble brag, I've had my work cited by lots of lawmakers. I've been on Fox News, Fox Business. I actually had a really cool experience that came out of nowhere where I got to testify before the Senate at Rand Paul's invitation. Uh, so, yeah, I love it at Fee. It's a great place for people that don't check, haven't checked it out. They should sign up for the daily newsletter, uh, which they can do just on the website, fee.org. But, yeah, it's great. I, I, I that's how I got there in a very long winded way. Yeah, that's wild, man. And you do you write a lot. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking right now at all your articles and I was reading over some earlier. So when's the book coming, man? You got you got one of those coming yet or what? So, well, this is interesting. I, I actually did. A, I've been advised not to write a book before I'm 30 because everybody apparently who's a journalist who writes a book before they're 30 regrets it eventually like in terms of the book itself or their opinion, or they just would have done it differently when they're older. Like when you are, I will definitely write a book one day, but with to, to pick one subject when I'm not like established enough as an expert in one thing or to try to, I'm not old enough to do something like memoir-y or anything, right? I'm 24 for goodness sake. But then it would just be difficult to pick one subject and put a body of work together that big and that lasting at 24 that you're still going to be proud of when you're 64. So I've been advised to give it a couple of years, get some more experience under my belt before I go for that. But it's definitely on the cards. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you're writing that much, you might as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but writing, it, it's, it's like a skill like anything else. I mean, I played high school basketball and I was pretty like average. I was, I was just tall. I wasn't good. But even now, like if I just picked up a basketball, I could shoot six or seven out of ten free throws just because I did it so many times. Whereas like a random person, that'd be hard. Sure. Um, but writing, it's like now I can write in two hours something that took me two or three days when I first started. It's just the kind of thing like I do. I write a lot, but also we're writing about the same things. Unfortunately, from our perspective, the same shit happens all the time. <laughs> debt taxes minimum wage it's like the same things are the same tired policies and schemes are being thrust upon us so it's like it's like muscle memory you just get good at it and do it fast sure yeah absolutely i, I tried my hand at writing for a little while when i i helped found uh, think liberty that is pretty successful ish now it's no fee but um and i i wrote a couple articles and i was like man it took me like a week to write this article <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I probably, if I had kept going, I'd get a little better at it, but I definitely need an editor. I can't write without an editor. There's just no way I'm so bad with my typos and, and all that stuff. But you said you, uh, you testified before the Senate. Yeah. That's so cool. one of the things I covered for months along with my other colleagues at fee was 
the consequences of lockdowns. Not many people were paying attention to this. Fee was one of the only places. In fact, a lot of, to throw a little shade, libertarian nonprofits or organizations were pretty silent on the lockdown We're looking issue. at you, Cato. Sorry, go ahead. I'm not going to say any <laughs> names, but um, Fee was not. We were covering this from the beginning, the economic destruction of small businesses while big corporations thrived, the skyrocketing drug overdoses, the mental health issues, the domestic abuse that happened. And then all of this, I covered that side of things. Um, all of this happened, yet the lockdowns didn't actually accomplish much of anything at all. I mean, my colleague John Miltimore, who people should also follow, has he reported on this side of things dozens of studies that show little to no correlation between how severe the lockdowns were and how they actually did on COVID. I mean, and you can look at this just at the states, right? Florida versus New York, California versus Georgia, right? All these places that were supposed to do so bad, like Texas, really didn't. And that's because we actually have found out since that the most COVID spread happens at home. Yeah, the, in the so house. the whole thing was just a disaster. A big government. It's like they, these people thought they could shut down all of society like a light switch and flip it back on and nothing would be broken. Uh, and so it's just it, it's just one of I think will go down as one of the biggest big government policy failures of American history, at least modern American history, certainly. And so I covered that extensively, and I was invited by Senator Paul to testify before the Small Business Committee about the economic and social consequences of the lockdown policies, because uh, it was at a hearing talking about lockdowns and stimulus, which is another thing I've covered and we can go into. But the uh, explosion of government and the just m the money printing and the expansion of the welfare state that they used COVID to push through when so much of it did not have anything to do with COVID, it would make FDR blush. Oh, yeah. And I've covered the ins and outs of it for fee for the Washington Examiner, where I write a column. I've been on Fox and Fox Business talking about this. But the stimulus was so fraud rife and inefficient and bloated. And it's just been one of the biggest big government power grabs that you could have dreamed for if in a socialist wet dream. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, and not to give somebody else a shout out while you're here, but have you read this book yet? The uh, The War on Small Business by Carol Roth? No. So I just um, um, I, I saw. Did you do an episode? with I her? did. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I, I saw a clip from that. And then I also read an interview my colleague John did with her for our website. And it sounds like it's a really important book, so I will need to check it out. I think as far as the economic aspect of, of the lockdowns and stuff, there can't be a more important book for the last year. And she wrote it in, like, real time, like, over the course of this all happening. So it's like she's writing as things are happening. And it's really – it's, like, it's very economics-based, right? She was a she was a, um, uh investment banker. That's right. Huh? She was like a financier. Yeah, she was like an investment banker and something else, and then uh, she got out of that to start working on writing books and for about small businesses. And she's writing this book as it's happening, so it's very economically like focused, but it's it's actually really like a good read too. But I had her on the show. She's she's a pleasure. But that book is probably the most important book to come out of this whole thing. So I just I was wondering if you had read it, but I know it's brand new. I it literally just came out, it. And, and it's the most important book until my book. Yeah, right, course. right. Yeah, yeah. We'll, Five we'll, years from now, we'll be waiting for it, man. We'll be waiting for it. So we talked a little bit about uh, you know the course of this conversation prior to us actually getting going live, but uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Cuba. I know you're you're 
you're pretty I mean, you're pretty anti-socialist. You're, you're, you're pretty based, Brad. I'm not, I'm not going to lie as far as, as, far as uh, the, the anti-communist, anti-socialist sentiment goes. And we know now that you, uh, you do approve of, of uh, recreational tanks. So, uh, you know, now that you're that based. I, so what I would say is that I'm not 100% sold on tanks. For people that don't know, my hot libertarian take, anti-libertarian take – was that you probably shouldn't be able to own an, a tank with an artillery system. That might be a little too far. Uh, and that really triggered the the truly red-pilled libertarians. But after what is going on in Cuba, I can see why people would want tanks. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, these people have been living under absolute tyranny. and, and They're not allowed to have any guns of any kind. <clears throat> They're not allowed to have any food, Brad. I mean, the whole thing is just a mess, you know? And, and uh, so a lot of this stuff is being blamed on embargoes, you know, this, this American embargo and not being able to trade food. But we, if you really de- dive into it, I mean, they, we've been, they've been able to trade food with us since uh, 2001. Um, so that's not why they're not eating. Um, yeah. Know. I mean, obviously an embargo hurts the economy. That's the point of an embargo. But, like, that's not the main problem. They are able to trade with a bunch of other countries. And actually, you're right. Food and medicine can, in many cases, go through the embargo now. The real problem is their socialist economy. No one can deny this, right? I mean, it's it's just they went from one of the richest countries uh, in Latin America and in the Caribbean to, to really struggling. And now the people can't eat. They're out there chanting, we have no food, we have no fear. Because Milton Friedman wrote about this. When you have socialism, people like Bernie or AOC, they say, we support the socialism, but we want political freedom and democracy. Even if you believe that they actually believe that, which maybe I don't, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. You actually can't have socialism with democracy or democracy, not even as it's really meant, with freedom on the political side. Because when you concentrate concentrate control over the economy in political hands, the government controls whether you get to eat. The government and the military control all the jobs in Cuba, pretty much. Are you going to speak out against the government then in that scenario? Are you going to question the election results of in Cuba? Like, of course not, because they control whether your kid gets to go to school and eat at night and whether you have a job in the morning. Only now in Cuba are they speaking up and revolting because the communist government has literally destroyed the economy to the point where there's not even food. Like at least they had the basics in many cases for a while, though they were stagnating and struggling. Now it's so bad, in part because of the pandemic, but also just because the system's imploding on itself that they have nothing left to lose. So they're finally speaking out. But what's going on in Cuba, it's just proof, right? You cannot have socialism and freedom coexisting. No matter what American progressives say, it's not possible. Sure, sure, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. It's, uh, it's just crazy because, you know, it's, it's like we've, we've all just kind of tried to stay blind to the fact that Cuba's under this communistic rule, and they're, you know, just uh, what a ninety miles off the coast of, of Florida, right, or, or the, the Florida Keys, and it's like, it's like, uh, oh yeah, that little island down there that's just completely despotic and uh, has no food, and they're still driving cars from the fifties and sixties because they ha- don't have any, you know, new cars and. Um, and now, now people are like, oh, oh, Cuba's, oh, Cuba's fucked up. I didn't even know, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's been fucked up for, you know, a couple decades now, uh, at least. 
probably a lot longer than that, you know? It's not news, unfortunately. I mean, it's news to a lot of us because it's not our country, so we're not paying attention. But I have a bunch of friends and people I, I've interviewed and talked to who are Cuban-Americans or second generation, right? And they, they come to this country and they love freedom and they love capitalism and they're like, they love America, even though it's not perfect, right? The foundations of it are about liberty in many ways. And so it's just, they appreciate the things that like woke college kids or like alt-right eggheads just don't, just hate about the United States, right? Like the First Amendment, they they view as getting in the way of progress. Whereas people who've actually lived somewhere without a First Amendment know how important it is to protect the people at the bottom of the food chain. Because they're the only, like, you don't need free speech if you're, what you're going to say is popular or if it's not threatening to the status quo and to the to concentrated power in your society. You need it if you're the little guy who's about to be under the boot. Uh, and, and people who've been in Cuba know that and they come here and it's a big value for society. I will say that I struggle a little bit with the question of because Cuba's so close to us, right? Like having a communist dictatorship so close to our borders, it is a national security question. But at the same time, like U.S. intervention and regime change has worked in approximately zero percent of the time. Big goose egg. <laughs> right. So it's like well, we don't want to Libya it, but like it's a problem. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'm not an international affairs expert. Right. But like it's it's a mess. And I'm praying for the people of Cuba that they can one way or another, be free again. We just all got to figure out how to get Floridians to run guns to Cubans, man. I mean, that's really what it is. Or just send over a transport with a ton of tanks. Yeah, yeah. Just give them tanks so they can compete with the with the socialist tanks. Well, here's the thing, and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now. This might sound crazy to some of you, but Cubans are the reason that Florida is so based. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would be a deep blue state without Cuban-Americans. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe not deep, but it would definitely go blue. Yeah, they'd have they'd have blue uh, election cycles undoubtedly. The the uh, the Latinos in 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 Florida are extremely based because most of them have lived in places like Cuba and Venezuela and or and, their parents have or their parents have yeah, and so they they have this deep tradition of hey, we get this opportunity to have these freedoms. Don't fuck it up. Right, <laughs> you know? they know it. Whereas people grow up here, they just take a lot of it for granted. Yeah. I don't know. I grew up in California. It's not as bad as Cuba, but it's getting there. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, it's certainly not as bad, right? But like the things that they want to do would take us, because people think of socialism or capitalism as poles. You're one or the other. In reality, it's more of a sliding scale. And so a lot of the things that they want to do, I mean, Bernie Sanders, when he was running for president, proposed basically de facto nationalization of broadband internet. And one of the things they're doing in Cuba right now is shutting off the internet so the protests can't be broadcast to the world. So the the authorities and thugs beating up protesters can't be posted and exposed to the world. They're shutting off the internet. That's just insane. But they can only do that because the government controls the internet, right? And, and so progressives here want a big government power grab of like, internet providers. They want to regulate them. They want to, uh, Bernie wants to create a government internet provider to compete with the private options, which they won't be able to compete because it's not a fair competition. Um, it's the same thing with Medicare, but that's, they might, they certainly don't intend 
when they're proposing those sorts of things to like start shutting off the internet on dissidents or whatever, because it's not them who will do it, right? But it's the people that will come next or they're just opening it. They're opening the Pandora's box and giving the government the authority that it will then later surely abuse. And that's the thing, when, because people will often respond. I try to talk to like liberals or progressives and not be just dismissed out of hand, right? They know that Venezuela is not literally what progressives in America support. And sometimes right-wing people will get themselves discredited by pretending that actually the Democrats support communism. Sure. That's not what they actually think they support. But the truth is their policies would, in many cases, take us down that path. And those are two different things and a distinction we have to draw, I think, to actually convince people. Sure, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Rich Clark uh, for becoming a channel member, bro. I appreciate you. Uh, I know I, I remember you from last night too, man. You're in here killing it. Uh, also, a $10 super chat. He said, uh, mandatory grifter payment and comment. Brad should write a book about being liberty-oriented in your 20s in today's climate. Then he doesn't have to wait till he's 30. Oh, but like those kinds of books about the other thing is I would hate to write a book that ends up being kind of cringe. You know what I mean? Like those books where it's a, it's about I'm a libertarian Gen Zer or I'm a gay conservative or it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to do something like that because I mean, if you also books are like dead, yeah, they're not literally dead, but they are dying. I'm sorry to say like. And that's the unfortunate part about our society. Show's over, guys. Good job. No, it's true, though. <laughs> I mean, I read – I actually read books. I'm not going to sit here and be like, yes, I read nonfiction every night. But I read a lot of fiction and I read nonfiction economic books as well. But it's like I don't know anyone in my life outside of politics that like our age – I don't know how old you are exactly. I'm 24. But like that well, reads I'm books. much older. <laughs> no one reads books. Young Gen Z people do not read books. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over yeah it's sad it's really sad and if they do it's mostly fiction stuff i mean they're not getting into the political theory and and economics and all that stuff like nobody's they're not i mean they're hard pressed to read articles most of their news comes from tiktoks and snap stories and instagram and actually on youtube People get a lot of their news and content, and that's not necessarily bad. You and I both use YouTube, sure. but it kind of depends what kind of content they're getting, and they tend to get more like a lot of fluffy content and not not a lot of young people, though some are, are tuning into like serious political conversations and theory and ideas on YouTube. I think they're more like watching videos of Caitlin Bennett pooping herself or whatever, or like the opposite extreme sure yeah and it's it's you know i have a lot of young people that come to me especially now uh, but before uh even i was doing the podcast you know i, I sit on the libertarian national committee i'm an at-large representative uh, for the libertarian party 
And uh, so I've traveled all over the country. I've been to like 40 states. I've spoke behind Ron Paul at the Omaha Roads to Freedom Unconvention. I've got to do a lot of cool stuff. So I have a lot of young people that I meet, and they're like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm thinking about starting this YouTube channel, or I'm starting this podcast, or I'm doing this thing. But it just seems like it's the, mar- the market's so flooded. I'm like, it's not flooded. <laughs> like, I have to explain people to the, uh, this because, you know, we're just such a small movement that it feels flooded to us. But truly, we're the minority in all media, including social media, including YouTube, including Odyssey. I mean, all these platforms, we are not flooded. We need to flood the market. The more podcasters we can get, the more people doing uh, news shows and, and content and writing, the better. Because that's where these, these young uh, people these days, I'm almost 40, I'm getting older now, um, but the young people, that is where they're getting their... Yeah, I know, I know. You should have seen, dude. You should have seen the first couple of episodes of this show, man. I, I produce it all myself. I do it all through OBS. I have like controllers and stuff, and I'm like messing up the audio, and I'm like, I can't get anything right. What's going on? And so everybody makes fun of me for being a boomer all the time now, and I'm like, I'm only 38, but I am a grandpa. You do, you do have a good point, though. I, I guess I haven't thought about that because I do feel like the libertarian podcast thing is flooded in the sense of I would just tell young people make sure you have something original. Original style, original niche, original focus, something about it that's going to be unique because like just doing the same thing as everyone else probably isn't going to be successful. But I mean, I agree with you. If you're breaking out of the libertarian bubble, then there's no flooding of libertarian content, right? But if you're only tapping into the like libertarian libertarian bubble audience right the kind of people that read reason no shade to reason right it's great but like read reason listen to tom woods and dave smith that's a big amount of people like lp voters it's a significant amount of people but it's very much a self-contained bubble that you got to go outside of to reach the rest of hundreds of millions of america sure well, and, and I, I think the, the really important thing to focus on, so I don't even care if it's the same thing over and over again. I really don't. Um, for, for me, <laughs> for, is that. Yeah, is that. like for, for me, it's, for me, it's like, uh, you know, have different kinds of guests on that's, that's kind of been my goal for the show is like, I want to have comedians on, I want to have podcasters. I want to get Tim Dillon on. I want to, I want to get people that aren't necessarily libertarian. You know, I'd like to have Jimmy Dore on my show, those kind of people, you know, even some lefties. I like Gary Chartier. I was a big fan of him. He's a, you know, he's kind of a cultural icon on the left for, for left leaning libertarians, at least from, from uh, center for a stateless society. So there's, there's a lot of different kinds of people. And I think the biggest problem, I don't care if it's the show isn't great. I want, I want you to make it look and sound good. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the important part and that's why i did you know i did a hundred hours of of youtube videos to figure out how to set up my system so that it, and i still have problems you know it's it's not an easy yeah. thing to do so if you're gonna I do a podcast audio quality cannot be under stressed as how important it is on a podcast i listen to this podcast and i'm not gonna say names because i know the guy and he's great but like um they do this podcast these two hosts and he was traveling last week And so he had, maybe he was on his phone or he was on his webcam. They normally have like nice professional mics with like nice soundproof rooms and that like radio baritone, right? And it was just webcam-y and every time he talked, I turned it off after five minutes. I usually listen to their hour-long podcast twice a week. I was like, ah, and now maybe I'm just spoiled, right? Like we're insanely spoiled by technology, but that's how people are now. So I will, I definitely get what you're saying about the production quality mattering 
Um, but hopefully the content will also be good. Sure, sure, sure. And I think, you know, if, if you're doing a guest show, just really, it's really important to have different kinds of guests on. I think it's important. You know, when I was when I was really getting into philosophy and taking this deep dive into philosophy, this political philosophy, Murray Rothbard, Milton Friedman, F.A. Hayek, you know, uh, all these people from the Mises Institute and Cato. And I even read David Bowes' uh, The Libertarian Mind. Not a big fan of David Bowes and the Cato. Th- I'm just not a big Cato guy, but um, I still read it. But I also read, you know, Kropotkin and Bookchin and Marx and Engels and Lenin. And, you know, I like read all the stuff that I didn't like because you can't argue that stuff if you don't understand it. We just look like assholes saying, oh, you know, we have communism. And it's like, okay, what's communism? And then people are like, oh, I don't know, man. Uh, you, the government does stuff. And it's like, no, nah, that's not really it. There's other, other things involved. So, so it's just as important when you do shows to get, uh, you know, more perspective, uh, get different kind of guests on. Um, that's going to, first of all, it's going to give you more followers. And the more followers you can get in front of a libertarian message, the better, right? Um, but I, I just don't, I don't think that it's flooded. Maybe it's flooded with a lot of people doing a lot of the same things. I get that. But the more people we can p- get putting out content, the better. We need more people like you and, and, and Drew Hancock, who I had on the show, who does really great short videos on YouTube and stuff like that, too. Um, but anyways, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about censorship, man. You just, had, you just recently had some people go at you. I saw that. Um, That's a day that ends in Y for me, bro. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And, and, and you know, that was something else I kind of want to talk about. When I had Olivia on the show, I brought up the, the GSM uh, uh, conservative thing. I said, you know, you're a GSM uh, black conservative, so basically everything the left hates. And <laughs> she got she got kicked out of that. But, it, I, um, you know, you're going to get dunked on when you when you go at Nick Fuentes. It's going to happen. I mean, people, you know, we all know there's a lot of people online that are going to get upset about that. But you talked about – uh, I don't remember the exact post, but you were okay with someone being censored on Twitter. Um, yeah. I mean, look, the, the issue of big tech censorship is a tricky one for me because there's kind of two elements of it. There's two dimensions of it. One is what is the correct government policy or thing that they should be forced to do? And the other one is what do I think is right and wrong? Do I like Twitter doing something? Do I think Facebook should block Trump? Like I wrote about this. I find it very alarming that the big social media companies have banned Trump because like it or not, he's a mainstream political figure. We've got hundreds of millions of people that want to hear from him. It, I think it's a little dystopian, very concerning that these companies can just use these mysterious algorithms and shut people off at the same time. They are private companies. Now, that people cringe when you say that. I understand they're not fully private free market companies, but that doesn't really matter when it's a question of the First Amendment in terms of law. You couldn't force them to have Trump on the platform. That would be an unconstitutional violation of their First Amendment rights. The whole repeal Section 230 thing, it's just a horrible policy idea. It would lead to more censorship, not less, because all of a sudden they're going to be freaked out over being sued for everything. And even if I love the idea of free speech social media platform, but if you actually didn't have censorship at all, any moderation, Facebook would be flooded with porn and racism and insults, and it would be an unusable hellhole. Okay, it already kind of is, but it would be even worse, like way worse. And so the messy equilibrium that you end at is – they have to do some moderation 
And I want there to be robust political dis- debate. I want people from all sides to be saying their opinions. But there are going to be people who deny the Holocaust. There are going to be people who joke about Jews being burned as cookies. Uh, and they're going to violate the terms of service and be banned. And honestly, I'm fine with that. I won't shed a single tear for a scumbag like that, like Nick Fuentes or the other people. I mean, Alex Jones has been banned. That's Again, I find it kind of concerning that they can pluck these people off the edge of the internet, but it's like I'm not going to – any politically neutral standard of conduct for a platform that's not ideological but just says, right, you can't have – you can't like de- just demonize people and libel people and say horrible things and accuse people of crimes – and harass people's families while live streaming in the street. Like any neutral, politically neutral standard of conduct, they would be absolutely banned and they should be on these private platforms. And I don't care. True, true. Yeah. The, the Alex Jones one really makes me sad, though. I'm not going to lie. Well, I miss his meme content, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the, the one. Frogs. Yeah, that was like the first one that really it really bummed me out, man. Because he's 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 crazy, but he's right about so much shit too. You know what I mean? Well, he just uh, once in a while he stumbles on something correct because he just says random stuff. It's like spinning spinning. I don't know, like a wheel. And then also the funny thing too is like he admitted in some court filing that like his work that he does is entertainer (laughs) he doesn't actually consider himself like a journalist or like a factual source yeah i think he had to do that i think he had to do that when the when he made those comments about um newtown being a a false flag i think he had to do that that's the kind of thing though that like you can't say he doesn't deserve to be censored for that 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 should not be allowed to be posted on a facebook or a twitter now what i will say is that i wish we would ban posts not people so, like, if Donald Trump has a specific tweet that violates the guidelines of Twitter that are politically neutral, they're not. I'm saying they should be. That tweet should be deleted or taken down. But we shouldn't be banning people's accounts and, like, deleting them from the digital square. That, to me, is dystopian. And But it's like some posts cross lines, and they're going to have to... I mean, do you know how much I, – I don't have the statistics in front of me, but do you know how many hours of video a day are uploaded to YouTube? Oh, I can only imagine. It's insane. Yeah, I mean it's some insane figure that would take like a year of a million people watching. or I don't know. I'm just pulling statistics out of the air, but I've looked it up before. There's so much out there, and people are so willing to like spew bile from these anonymous accounts with little frogs or whatever – that's the other thing I'd be interested is if some of these social media companies stopped allowing anonymous accounts and just, I'm not saying the government should make that a a rule or anything, but I'm saying if there was a platform that chose to do that, for example, parlor actually did this. I believe you had to show an ID and verify your identity. You couldn't be anonymous. Just almost, I would say like 80% of the nasty, horrible libelous, ad hominem things that are spewed at me on Twitter are from anonymous accounts. True. Right? If put your name on it, put your face on it. Fair, fair. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't I I've have never had an anonymous account. I've always been myself and done all my work in public and in fact, I got booted from Facebook last year in October. Uh I was I obviously, What did you do? So check this out. This is this is where this is why it gets 
really tricky for me when it comes to people being censored because it's a slippery slope, right? I'm 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 a, a yeah, it is a normal person. I had been on Facebook for eleven years. Uh, I had la- like my last pictures with my grandfather on there that I'll never see again because I was like, well, I'll always have a Facebook, so I uploaded them there. Got a new phone, you know, lost those pictures, pictures with my son, um, and uh, and so in October of last year, obviously I'm working on the uh, you know stumping for Joe because I'm you know, on the Libertarian Committee, the National Committee. And, of course, I'm going to stump for our presidential candidate because I liked them better. I liked her better than the other two candidates, even if she was kind of milk toast and boring. Um, and then I started talking about the the uh, the coronavirus. Coronavirus, right? And uh, and I said, you know, wouldn't it, you know, there, you know what what's up with this theory that uh, it was created in a lab in China? You know, what if this is, there's some some truth to this? And uh, bam, boom, gone. Didn't give me a reason. Didn't give me a warning. Never let me recover my stuff off my account. And here it is now, uh, July of 2021. It's been nine months. And uh, that's the approved narrative now. You know, and it's totally fine to talk yeah. about it on Facebook. And and um, uh, they wouldn't give me my old account back. I, I started two new accounts in that time. And both times within six hours, I was pulled off. Uh, just for the IP address, I believe. Um, in fact, I started a new Facebook account just last week that they have not thrown me off yet, but I used a different computer with a different server with a different uh, uh, different phone number, everything, everything different. I went to try and use my Messenger for my phone, and it won't even let me log into Messenger, even to that account. Um, it's, it's a scary, slippery, dystopian slope. You yeah, know? I mean, like, that's you know. the thing. I'm not sitting here. That's horrible, yeah. right? That's terrible. The question is, what's the solution? Sure. What do we do about it? I don't want like you want the so I don't want Mark Zuckerberg deciding what speech is allowed. But I guess I take it over Kamala Harris, right? Yes. Like, so I'm saying, what's the solution? Sure. I don't know. I it's see to me, it's always been about these these um, community guidelines, terms of service, all this crap. It's never really been like a a a thing that you can figure out, right? Like you have, you have all this stuff laid out and you're like, Oh, well I haven't violated any of that, but they still pull you off. And so it never really seems like it's something that's been like evenly distributed to all the accounts. It's like, well, I'm oh, libertarian. No, not at all. You know? Like, listen, I can tell you as a journalist, the Facebook algorithm has single handedly put entire libertarian and me- and conservative media outlets out of business sure. because one day they changed up the algorithm to, stop promoting political content and all of a sudden a bunch of conservative websites their traffic from facebook went and liberal websites a lot went up you can look at graphs of this i've witnessed it at many places i've worked and written for actually where they flip a switch in the algorithm one day and your traffic from facebook plummets it's it's disturbing the amount of power they they weigh but every time i look at the policy solutions proposed how is antitrust going to help sure. breaking up Facebook and Instagram to two separate companies? What does that change? What does that fix? Right? Like making it illegal, some of these antitrust bills for them to like have Amazon basics on Amazon or their own, their own um, brands of things that are always cheap. And like, how is that fixing the, anything? How is repealing section 230 or that, that, like I said, that leads to more censorship. 
Another thing is like inserting a neutrality requirement into Section 230. Well, then guess who gets to decide what's neutral and what's not? Kamala Harris and the federal government. Like, right. name the solution, right? I, that's the only thing that I get frustrated. I acknowledge the problem. But also sometimes conservatives or Republicans, when they're talking about big tech, they'll act like it's worse than it is. It's bad. We're on a slope and it's slippery. But like Facebook still promotes a lot of conservative content. You've still got hugely successful right wing voices on YouTube. It's not as if we've been totally silenced in the digital square and we have no option but to go to the government, though it could get there. But sometimes I feel like they're too alarmist in the rhetoric. I mean, you're still able to Dave Smith is still on Twitter, reaching tons of people, Ben Shapiro, like Joe Rogan, all these people. It's not completely shut off to us in a way that would ever justify such drastic government intervention. But I, like I said, the thing is, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. All I can say is that these big government solutions, we should know better than to think they'll fix anything. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't disagree. And uh, speaking of big government solutions, something you wrote about recently, the uh, 1.8 million people refused to return to work because of generous welfare benefits. Now, I, uh, as somebody with seven kids, and actually I claim, uh, I claim six people, including myself, well, six, seven people, including myself on my taxes. So now they're doing this new child tax credit thing. You're about to get hella taxpayer money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the child tax credit, right? It's probably less than what I paid in to taxes. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, last year, but, uh, this was before I had all the dependents. It's a wild story. I've told it on the show a bunch of times. I, I, I went from being a bachelor to having seven kids in one year uh, that wow. live, that live with me, that live with me. Uh, one of them wasn't born yet. One of them didn't live with me. One of them's actually my granddaughter. Uh, and uh, uh, two of them are my fiancés. And, and so it's not, you know, it's not like they, it just, it, it all happened really fast. Um, so yeah, the government's like, here, let us uh, give you some monthly money now. Cause that's the new thing. They're going to give you monthly money, uh, child tax credit, half of your child tax credit every month until you hit like, four grand for the year or something crazy. Um, let's talk about this, man. This, this whole, you know, there's a lot of libertarians that say uh, a good idea to have a UBI, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of them that talk about this UBI thing. And we're kind of, I think we're kind of getting a trial run on what could happen if we'd paid people, uh, money every month. What do you think? Well, I don't want to conflate the two things because the 1.8 million, the first thing you referenced is unemployment benefits. Oh, sure. And sure. that's not UBI because the, the virtue of UBI, if you believe it's a virtue, is that you get it whether you work or not. So there's not a work discouragement. True. But what we're seeing right now is in dozens of states, you can make the equivalent of 25 bucks an hour on unemployment benefits. <laughs> because they supercharged and expanded this system because of the pandemic and stimulus. And so it literally pays most of the unemployed people more not to work than to work. Of course, you're going to have a slow recovery. And this 1.8 million people that say they haven't gone back because of benefits, that's how many admitted it to pollsters. Like they polled them and they said, yes, I'm not going back because the government pay too good. I'm just speculating, but it's got to be two or three times that in truth, right? Like people don't answer pollsters honestly when it's things that reflect poorly on themselves. Like, so the truth is it's probably other studies estimated at like 5 million people. 
who haven't gone back to work because of the generous benefits. But that's the unemployment, which is super dysfunctional. They've lost five times more money to fraudulent unemployment claims than they spent developing the COVID vaccine. Jesus. The federal government did. That's, that's the fact. insane. Now, and listen to this too. Um, <laughs> we have 1.2 open jobs right now for every unemployed person, yet we have over 20 million people still on unemployment. We obviously have welfare state dysfunction, but that's like the unemployment side, which discourages work. UBI is theoretically different. Theoretically, you just get the money, whether you work or not, so there's not as much of a work disincentive. I'm not anti-UBI in the Milton Friedman vision of it, which was that you replace welfare state with just everybody gets a check for X amount so that nobody's starving in the streets, right? Like, and the virtue of that is that it doesn't discourage work as much nearly because you get it whether you work or not. Whereas if you go back to work, you lose your unemployment benefits. You, you can lose food stamps if you get a raise. Right. Um, and then also it doesn't with UBI, there's no bureaucracy and waste and fraud. At least theoretically, there couldn't there'd be none or almost none. So that's the virtues of UBI. The downside is, I think, in practice, it would just be on top of all the other stuff. I don't think we'd ever get it as a replacement. And then it's just more of our money being taken. I mean, the welfare state is, is they call it stimulus. But what they're really doing is it's like. They're just taking a slice of the pie and moving it to the other side of the tin, right? They're taking our money and then giving it to other people. It's not new money, or it could be if it's printed, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to get into that in a minute. So, Sure. But I guess my whole point is that the, none of this is really stimulus to any serious extent, uh, and a lot of our money is being wasted, and UBI is it's a it's a bit of a pipe dream to yeah. be honest yeah i've always looked at it as kind of a pipe dream too and uh i've heard several different scenarios where it could be used where you take like a land value tax and just crazy things like that and um i don't know it just always seemed like one of those things it's gonna come from us regardless you know uh trollertarian thanks a lot for the uh five dollar shout shout out super chat he said brad is woefully close to tim pool's take against free anonymity free speech is in danger especially big tech equal nsa i've got the white papers okay all right thank you sir uh let's talk a little bit about inflation sure so you wrote it just hit a 13 year high i think i think most libertarians understand that inflation is insane right it's insane and gonna probably gonna continue to be insane but wh where do you see it heading from here honestly it's hard to say i don't want to be one of those people that makes super firm predictions about inflation because i don't know the future and there's a lot of factors but what i can tell you is a couple things cnn just did a whole report that blew up this morning about how bad the current inflation is for the working class and for once i'm watching this cnn clip and i'm like damn, they're, they're hella base this morning. They know it's up. They're going through how it's eating away people's grocery bills, how used car prices have doubled. So now the average used car is $26,000 or something obscene. And they do this whole report on how it's hurting working people. And that's the thing people need to realize. Rich people don't get hurt by inflation very much because they have financial managers who put their assets in inflation-resistant 
investments and all sorts of things, right? It's basically poor people who hold, hold cash or save money who have that eroded. And then also rich people don't spend as much of the proportion of their money. So poorer people spend more of their money. So then when prices are higher, that's hurting them more, if that makes sense. The thing I can tell you about the inflation that the CNN report at the end made me furious because they didn't even mention it's a policy choice where it's too often described as like a mysterious phenomenon that we don't know what's happening. Oh, well, prices are up 5.4% year over year, the highest in 13 years. This this could be because of this. Could the, No, the Federal Reserve printed trillions of new dollars. What do you not understand about this, that that causes inflation if you just expand the money supply to chase the same amount of goods? It's pretty simple. That's not the only factor. There's other things. For example, the lockdowns constrained supply at the same time that the stimulus made a big boost in demand. But the biggest thing is they're printing trillions of dollars. The money supply has exploded. And then this just doesn't get talked about. So the one thing people, even libertarians who know how bad inflation is, you, the one thing we have to remember is that it's a, always a policy choice by our government when there is this kind of high levels of inflation. So it is not just a thing that happens that sucks, which is how a lot of people see it. It is a, an indirect but intentional tax on you and on me. Sure, sure, absolutely, man. Well, we're definitely getting to the end of the public stream here. Uh, what's what's next for Brad Palumbo? What do you got coming up, man? Uh, wow. So I'm really working on YouTube. So if people just type Brad Palumbo and and just subscribe to me over there, I'm really stepping up my game on there, putting out more content. Just did a whole video that people are are telling me they actually like reacting to socialist TikToks, it's... like TikToks that have hashtag socialism, hashtag DSA, right? Like straight up Marxist TikToks and like debunking them. So people should definitely check out my YouTube channel. Uh, and then of course on Twitter, Brad underscore Palumbo, P-O-L-U-M-B-O. That's where I post everything I do, which is all sorts of stuff all over the place. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, I watched that video earlier, man. It was uh, it was pretty funny. Yeah, the, the one of the dude in the hookup. Yeah, I just with the mask. You gotta watch it, people. Yeah. You gotta watch it. Yeah, you gotta check it out. It was it was pretty bizarre. Your reactions were amazing. I mean, you were you were <laughs> very animated when you were. Uh... I have a very expressive face. It used to get me in trouble as a kid because I I do not contain my emotions. Like if I think you're full of shit, my face will just make it so obvious. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, Brad, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you got anything else you want to plug before you take off, feel free. If not, I will uh, sure. I will see you here in a couple of minutes for the uh, private stream. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. Brad's cool. Go follow him. Check out his YouTube. Uh, he's coming up on YouTube pretty quickly. He's got some some pretty funny content over there. He definitely keeps it fresh. Uh, and anytime you're messing around with TikTokers, it's always fun because TikTokers are just, I don't know. They're, a lot of them just seem like a completely different uh, being than the rest of us. It's it's pretty wild. Uh, but definitely check out our sponsors before you go. Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Of course, my friend on the show, my partner, toplobster.com for all your uh, graphic design needs where you can get this awesome, it didn't need to be this way, uh, Ron Paul hoodie that I'm wearing today, plus all kinds of other great stuff. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. 
Hit them up. Find out what they can do for your business, personal life, or home today. And uh, guys, coming up on the show tomorrow, it's the last show of the week. We're gonna have Austin Peterson on the show. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be wild. I spent some time with Austin in Missouri during his Senate uh, campaign after party. Actually, spent the uh, weekend on his dad's rant or his dad's farm out there. So, um, but I I followed Austin for a long time. It's gonna be good. But I am gonna I am gonna grill him on this uh, these atomic bombs in Japan that he says he supports. So I hope Austin's ready for that. I'm sure he is. He likes to argue. Uh, guys, check out the Patreon, the subscribe star, or uh, become a member of the channel here on uh, YouTube if you want to get the exclusive streams. Last night. Tom Woods said the F word in the exclusive stream. I'm just telling you guys right now. We also debated on whether or not uh, hot dog was a sandwich. It was a good time. You should really check it out. We have fun in the uh, exclusive streams. Plus, I just figured out I can put, I can rip the audio and do the audio of them for you guys if you become patrons or uh, subscribe stars. And then you guys have your own private Patreon or subscribe star feed, uh, RSS feed to listen to those as well. If you guys are listeners, uh, for anybody who hears this tomorrow, when I get it up on my, my, uh, public RSS feed, I will see you guys tomorrow night, uh, for the show with Mr. Austin Peterson. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song they seem to contain a violent call to action and the verse in the frame but i just spent it in minecraft the helicopter part was a reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just spent it in minecraft your temper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you know it No product finish, cause you're close to COVID 